Hello everyone and welcome to the Open College podcast series. My name is Oksana and I'm the host of this podcast. On this episode, I invited Sofia Dovitenko to come and talk to me all about what it's like to qualify as a lawyer in Ireland and in the state of New York. Sophia is currently nearing the end of this process and was able to shed a lot of light on it. This will be a good listen for anyone who may be interested in the legal profession and wants a sneak peek into what to expect on the road ahead. So as always, I started off by asking Sophia a little bit about herself. So uh, yeah, I'm Sophia. I graduated from my bachelor, I graduated with a bachelor's uh, of civil law and English literature in September 2018. Then I went on and I did my master's degree in that same month, 2018, and I graduated from that just there in September, six months ago. I work as a pensions administrator, and then I'm starting my new role as a regulatory compliance manager with Arocco Global Markets. Um, how did you decide on a career as a solicitor? So I suppose we're just going to dissect and kind of go further into it, because I suppose the whole point of this um, episode is... I suppose law is one of those things that, from my understanding anyway, there's means and ways to get into it. It's not just one straight road. So I kind of want to get the perspective of someone that's been and done that or, in your case, nearly finished and into the kind of solicitor kind of legal profession. Um, Just so that whoever is listening, if they're, you know, doing their leaving cert and they're finishing up or maybe even a mature student coming back, that they kind of have an idea of what to expect. Because from everything that you always tell me, it's not a short road it's quite long and can be quite stressful and hard so that people kind of know what they're yeah. expecting and you know what they're getting into because it's not it's not for the faint-hearted anyway so okay so how did you decide on a career as a solicitor because like we just said it's a commitment it is it, it yes yeah, it's, it's a really it's a big commitment and it's a really big financial investment but yeah so I guess it's something being a solicitor um an advocate kind of representing vulnerable people it's something that I've always kind of been drawn to and you know it's one thing kind of seeing it on tv or whatever watching it happen then but it's another when you actually go in and you experience it firsthand um it's definitely not as dramatic as it is on television or movies or whatever and definitely not as glamorous but I guess when I was in transition year I had three placements that I had to do and I had to really think about where I wanted to do those placements and I decided that I was going to do two of my placements in two different law firms one specializing with uh, criminal law and then the other one specializing in insurance and personal injury claims and all that kind of thing so with criminal law that was Jesus, I think that was like 2012 or something. It was a while ago, but I do remember it quite well. I was shadowing a solicitor. Yeah, so I was shadowing him for about two weeks. We were in and out of the four courts. Uh, Sorry, not four courts. That was the other uh, law firm. We were in and out of the criminal courts of uh, justice in Dublin. It's like right up beside Phoenix Park. And I actually got to meet a lot of barristers as well. And they let me sit in on a court case because criminal law court cases, they're public. So we were allowed to sit in. Uh, So I sat in there for an hour or two and I just kind of watched kind of barristers advocate and then the solicitors do their thing in there as well. And it kind of just drew me, it made me kind of more attracted to the type of work and kind of what a big difference solicitors and barristers make on a daily basis to people who need that kind of representation. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I was going to go and start uh, studying it in college. But I did 
want to do it with something else. So I decided to do it with English literature, but we'll get to that later. Um, in terms of the type of law, I suppose when I was younger, it was always something, uh, criminal law stood out to me a good bit. Um, I know I did an internship with personal injury and insurance and all that, but that was too boring for me. I didn't really like any of that. So for a while, I did want to do criminal. But then, you know, I did my master's degree and my kind of interests changed a little bit and I started to go more towards commercial and financial. Um, yeah. So that's it. That's kind of how my interest started. Now, I've kind of done a little bit of um, digging around online. And from what I found out about you is that you're doing your dual qualifying in New York City and here at home. I kind of want to ask about that as well. So why did you choose New York in comparison to, um, I suppose I have other friends and you know acquaintances and they've qualified with, with the UK. Um, so why did you choose New York specifically? Yeah, um, well, the reason I chose to dual qualify in the first place is because I really want to internationalize my legal career. Um, I want to qualify as an international lawyer. I don't want to qualify as a local, just Irish lawyer or whatever. So I do want to internationalize. And the reason I chose New York State specifically in comparison to not only any other um, country, but any other jurisdiction within the state. So why I didn't choose Texas or California? New York as a state underpins some of the world's main commercial transactions. Um, it is probably the most important city for financial transactions. And because I am going into commercial law, that is probably one of the main reasons I chose New York state. Um, it's also a choice of law state for most contracts. So a legal contract would have two jurisdictions in terms of choice of law, uh, the choice of law clause within the contract. It's either London or New York. So those two jurisdictions are probably, if you're looking to do a qualified, those two jurisdictions are probably one of the most important to consider, especially if you're going into commercial law, because there's a huge demand for when you're in the legal, in, in commercial law to actually know one or the other when you're dealing with clients. Mm -hmm. So um that's kind of why I chose New York and then the reason I chose the states over like for instance qualifying in Australia or the UK is like I already said New York is probably the most important for financial transactions commercial transactions for Irish lawyers it's not that difficult to qualify in the UK if you qualify here in Ireland all you have to do is sit one exam which is I think it's property law in the UK and then you will be admitted because Ireland and England have a thing called the CTA which is an agreement between each other which kind of takes down a lot of barriers for certain professions um I know law is one of them I don't know any other professions but law is one of them in terms of like for instance if a UK person wants to come and qualify as a solicitor a solicitor here in Ireland they only have to do one exam which is property and then if I qualify here and I want to go and qualify, dual qualify in the UK, all I have to do is pass like one exam, which is property. So it's not that difficult. And if I do decide that I want to try qualify, like if I want to live in the UK for some reason or whatever in the future, then it's not that complicated for me to do that, provided that I qualify here first. 
So it's not that difficult. But yeah, that, that's kind of why I want to qualify in New York. It's it's a really beneficial quali- uh, qualification to have in comparison to just, you know, having a qualification with Ireland and UK because there are a lot of US companies that like that big law firms in Ireland or the UK would be dealing with. So me having this qualification, I don't necessarily have to live in New York to use it. I can use it when I'm working here dealing with US clients on a transaction that requires knowledge of New York law, then it would make sense for them to have me work on it. Then I don't know, hiring, working with an outside or liaising with an outside, outside counsel in the US or whatever, you know, so and clients themselves might be more comfortable in dealing with someone that would be quite familiar with New York law, you know, rather than someone who is just qualified in the UK or whatever. So there are a lot of advantages to having a US qualification rather than just Ireland or England or both, considering the amount of US clients that you would be dealing with, uh, particularly US transactions in commercial and financial law. So yeah. Okay. And does that mean that you're limited now to only practice in New York and Ireland? Yeah, see, the way law works is each jurisdiction is its own jurisdiction. So even in the US, if I qualify, when I qualify in New York, I won't just be able to go and practice in other states in America because, because it's a federation, each state has its own jurisdiction, whereas Ireland, you know, we have different counties, but if you're a solicitor in Dublin, you can be a solicitor in Cork, you know, you don't have to do a separate exam. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit more complicated when you enter a federation, but uh, I know there are, like, there, I'm not going to start going into the specifics, but if you get certain scores in your exams, you can potentially go and try be admitted in a different state other than Texas and California, they're completely out of the uniform bar examination, which is essentially an exam that if you score high enough, you will potentially be admitted in another state, provided that they are uh, signed up to the UBE, which is a uniform bar exam. I know Texas and California at the moment aren't signed up to it. So if I want to go and qualify if I want to go and work as an attorney in California, I have to do their exam all over again, their whole admissions process. Okay, so yeah, that yeah. sounds quite a lot, to be honest. Let's loop back a bit, though. So when it comes to becoming a solicitor, we'll just we'll, we'll mainly focus on Ireland. Um, so I suppose when you're qualifying as a solicitor here, there's also the other route of becoming a barrister. So can you explain to us then what the difference is with the two? A barrister and a solicitor are both lawyers. So there's no difference in terms of the quality, sorry, the in terms of the skills that they need to have. And the only difference, like for instance, a barrister and a solicitor are separated only in the UK and Ireland. Everywhere else, they're just the one, the one lawyer in America, an attorney and counselor at law is a barrister and a solicitor. Um, for some reason here in Ireland and England, I don't know what the history is in terms of separating the two, but the main difference is that a barrister is essentially an advocate in the court and he is self-employed. So he gets most of his clients sent in through solicitors. A solicitor can't actually advocate in court. They would be, you know, more kind of dealing with clients face to face, whereas a barrister, he gets the paperwork, he meets a client or whatever. And then he actually goes and advocates in the courtroom. The solicitor sits in there as well, but 
they're not actually authorized to advocate in court. I don't know why they make the system so complicated and they have, I don't know why they separate a lawyer into two like that, but that's the thing. A solicitor is not self-employed and a barrister is. Oh, okay. I was always under the impression that solicitor would do kind of like the paperwork side of it, whereas the barrister does the arguments. Yeah, essentially, essentially, the barrister would have a good bit of paperwork and they're quite, they would be quite academic in terms of their research and stuff, just so they know what they're actually arguing and whatnot. And the solicitor would send them most of the work, so they would just use their advocacy skills. But the actual qualification process is slightly different. So when I was saying earlier, to enter the Law Society for professional training, it's about two and a half years so once you do the entrance exams which is eight exams once you pass them you are you've passed the entrance exams and you are eligible to go and begin your professional training but you can't start your training until you find a company to give you a training contract and we'll get to that later that you have to get a training contract and then you can start your black hall training a barrister on the other hand he goes in to do his king kick his king's ins there are six exams he has to sit them all in the one go then he continues his training which is it's about two years so yeah it's about two years and then he gets called to the bar of ireland okay right so as long as we're on the topic then let's start from the very start of the whole process of becoming a solicitor in ireland let's go from the leaving cert you do okay. your leaving cert, you get your whatever amount of points you need. What's the most straightforward route to get to becoming a fully qualified solicitor? Okay, so here you don't actually need a legal degree to go and do your legal exams. Whereas, for instance, in America, when you're qualifying, you actually need to have a, a law degree. So here, here, in, here and the UK, you don't. You just need a degree. It can be in any discipline. Okay, so you could be just someone who's really, really interested in the law, like if anybody has actually watched Suits, where your man just shows up and does the exams and away you go. Yeah, so in the US, it's slightly different, though, but you need to have a legal degree and then they have to go and do their year's doctorate. That's that's different. But if we focus on Ireland, you need to have a degree. It doesn't matter what discipline it's in. You can be coming in from a nursing degree or uh, coming in from an accounting degree and then you decide "Mm, I want to be a lawyer so you go and you do your eight FE1 exams then you pass them all you go provided that you've secured a training contract with some company that will take you on for two years and then you go and enter Black Hall and do your additional exams while you train for two and a half years so altogether it's yeah so altogether from the moment you start college to when you finally get put on the role of solicitors it's about an eight year it's an eight year process oh wow that's actually that's a very long time that's nearly as long as a doctor takes to qualify I think a doctor takes like 11 years or something here in Ireland yeah and it costs nearly the same (laughs) I'd say it is expensive especially the the exam costs um so what happens then when you have your training contract when you're doing your after you completed your FE1 successfully is it just that you just, like you were saying before, you shadow another solicitor, you work on, on cases with him? Do you actually get to work on a case your, like on your own and they just oversee your work or how is that done? Okay, yeah. So when you secure a training contract, you have like the first thing you do is you apply when the dates, uh, when the dates um, 
when the applications open, which is between September and December each year. That's when various companies open and you start to submit all your applications. Then if you're successful in getting an interview and then you're successful in actually being offered a contract with the company that will start maybe the year after, two years after, depending on what stage you're at. Are you still in college? Are you still in the middle of your FE1s? Or are you completely finished? If you're completely finished, you can start earlier. But yeah, so once you start, you go and do your black haul, which is one entire year. So you go in and you do that and there are various subjects that you have to do for that then so you don't actually have to finish out these two years it's just you need to be working somewhere to do your black holes yeah you're going to be a contract you're getting a contract with a company and in the first year of your contract you're doing just your professional exams which are called the ppc oh okay Um, i thought you would actually be working with them okay no never mind you're you're getting paid by them they're paying you your salary but you're not actually in the company because they're sending you off to do your professional training. Then after a year that you've done all the exams and you've passed them all, you're in the office for the last year. And then in the last year, it could even be longer. It's about two and a half years. Some companies drag it out to three years, but it's very rarely that they do. Um, But you do four seats and you can do that in a year. So one seat would take about three months. And you would do like your seat in litigation, then you do a seat in conveyance. And a seat essentially means you do um, that entire area. So you go into that department and you work there for three months on that, on whatever case that that you're working on, involved in whatever transaction or deal or whatever. One is litigation. Litigation is uh, required. You have to do it. Conveyance is required. You have to do it. And then you can choose your last two. So you can choose to do it in environmental law, aircraft financing, um, whatever, like you you can choose whatever you want to do it in. But the first two are mandatory litigation and conveyance. It makes sense that they're mandatory. You have to under, you have to learn how to litigate and you have to learn um, conveyancing, which is essentially commercial property. So, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of how it works. I've, I haven't done it yet. So, um, but from speaking to people about it, they just they described it like that, and they said that, um, yeah, you do your seats and stuff, and you're nearly there. Then. Okay. And then when it comes to the other side of being a barrister, would that be a similar process or more straightforward? It it wouldn't be similar at all. Um, so they do, they do their six exams, and then they have to pass all of them. And then once they pass all of them, they begin their training, which is essentially like, it's kind of like college again. They okay. they do, they have various projects they have to work on. It's mainly research-based. Uh, they, they probably, I don't know exactly, but I think they, they most likely have to do a lot of mooting, which is essentially fake court proceedings okay. they have to practice, um, you know, to obviously kind of hone in on their advocacy skill because that's essentially what they have to do as barristers um yeah I'm assuming that's how it is but it's it's a slightly shorter process than becoming a solicitor so they, it wouldn't take as long for them to qualify and that's probably because with the FE1s you can kind of take them a few at a time isn't it whereas what yeah. you're saying with the barrister it has to be all at once so that probably shortens the process yeah exactly so when you're qualifying as a barrister, you actually can't work anywhere because your entire time will be dedicated to that. 
And then when you're actually doing your FU1s, you can work because you can kind of take them one at a time. Um, and you kind of don't have a choice. Some people can't just not work, you know. So that's the thing. But when you enter a black hole, you'll have a training contract secured. So you'll be doing black hole without having to worry about working the next day or doing work in the in, the entire day and then studying in the evening because mm. you're you're already employed under whatever company gave you that contract. So you're getting your salary in. Mm-hmm. so it's kind of good in that way and is there other routes that people could um kind of consider I suppose because I don't know say for example you do your leaving cert you don't get your points but you also don't want to repeat is there kind of like another way to get in the door with this yeah your arts degree so if you don't get enough points I know arts isn't that much I think it's like 350 points Mm-hmm. If you get under that, I don't think you can get into many courses. But yeah, if you get 350 um, arts, this was like six years ago for me. So I don't know the points definitely changed. But if you don't get enough points, you go into arts and you pick law and whatever other subject. I think you pick three law. I did business. I did English. And then whichever two are your strongest, you carry on with them as your double major. So you will transfer from arts into uh, law with business or law with accounting whatever you've chosen so that is the best way to go about it if you don't get enough points because I know I didn't get enough points to go straight into law I had to go and do it through arts um, because yeah. law when I, when I was applying law was in the 500s for most um, for most colleges so uh, I didn't I only got like 450 or something so I didn't get in the 500s so I had to go and do it through arts so law is pretty high in points and it seems to be getting quite higher as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you don't get it, no biggie, go in. Obviously try and get 350 points, more than that, preferably, obviously. But if you don't get your 500 whatever points, but you get like 430 or you get like me 450, go in through arts and pick law with whatever other subjects. That way, do really well in it. If you do well in it, you'll be able to carry on with it as an actual degree in law you know there's also the upside I suppose that because it's an arts degree if you don't like it you don't have to carry on with it and you still have your degree whereas if you go I mean as in you still have your degree you can just pick something else and continue on with that whereas if you went solely for law and you don't like it well either you drop out or you just kind of carry on but you're a bit miserable doing something you don't like Exactly. And like people think like four years in college is a long time. It really isn't. It flies in. If you don't like law and you're still doing it, don't drop out. Just finish it. Because with a law degree, you can go and do so much. You can go into Mm -hmm. financial services. And then within financial services, there are so many areas you can go into. You can go into anything with a law degree. You can go into teaching. You can go into uh, teaching in terms of actually lecturing. So you'll obviously have to go and do a PhD. But um, not even that's not even the case all the time um I know a lot of colleges take you on if you have a master's there you go yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you could even get lucky that way yeah I just know with if you want to go and become a professor lecturer you have to go and do a PhD I don't know if that, that's what I was told in Maynooth um, when mm, I was I, the, yeah like in the big universities it's probably the case because their standards are so high but obviously not all colleges have such high standards some of them you could just be um you know you have your master's in your level nine you're still teaching but you're not like a main professor in front of the class lecturing doing all these research projects or whatever it might be well yeah there's loads of different um routes and then when you actually do have your law degree and you are 
looking to build legal experience obviously there are like things you can go into like legal executive legal secretary which are your basic ones but considering how uh, competitive the legal market is they, they don't tell you this in college um you have to just kind of figure it out yourself and you have to build your own resilience when you actually enter it because the you will be disheartened a lot of the way but you just have to keep kind of going in terms of building experience that is like one thing that I would suggest to anyone that is like in college because that is something I didn't do as early as I should have started doing it but it's okay because I'm doing it now um but what you need to do is you need to build on your legal experience as early as possible um preferably during college start applying for internships intern in as many places as you can then when you're out of college um, even if you're in college and you can find a company that will give you part-time work, great. But if you can't, after college, go in and do your paralegal experience, go in and do your legal executive experience, go in and do your um, any sort of legal, legal compliance, in-house, uh, company secretary. Um, they're all legal work experiences and they're all extremely valuable to have when, you, uh, when you're applying for companies. So somebody that's applying straight out of college that might not have anything and then you're applying but you have experience, you, you'll obviously stand out as a candidate. Um, it shows you're committed to legal work experience and somebody applying that is still working as a waitress or something, you know? So you just kind of have to think and start acting on that kind of thing as soon as possible. Don't let it drag out. And then sorry, there's another thing that they don't tell you in college. It's kind of things that you just kind of have to find out. But if you are looking to qualify in the likes of the US, it's really, really important that you know you need to have a law degree to do that. So if you qualify here, if you go on to do a business degree or something and then you decide you want to become a lawyer, you won't be able to do that in the US because you didn't have a law degree. Here you can, but over there you can't. So it's really important, even if you're not sure, but you think you will qualify as a solicitor, just do that law degree. Because once you have a degree in whatever, you're stuck in you're either you're stuck in Ireland or the UK you can't go abroad and um, it is pretty disheartening because I know one person in that situation who didn't do a law degree and he does want to qualify in the US but he can't unless he goes back and does like his law degree and that's another four years you know so it is really sorry could he not do an what is it an LLB like that's a conversion course I think isn't it so technically that would still be a degree no, they're very strict with their requirements and um, he's already looked into all of that. You have to have a certain amount of classroom hours that you have done. You need to have a certain amount of credits that you need to have done. Any of those conversion thingies, they don't work and they clearly stated in Rule 520 of the Court of Appeals that actually um, states the rules required, or the, the requirements that need to be satisfied to enter the admission process to um, be admitted uh, to be given your license as an attorney so it is it's things like this that they don't tell you in college which I need like I feel like you need to know this before yeah. you decide what you want to do if you're lucky enough to have went on with a law degree and got it great if you don't have one I mean if you're happy with staying here that's fine but you know obviously the, like I, I know a lot of people that have gotten their degree here and they've all went off to the U.S. a lot and the market's huge over there and it's getting even bigger. So it is becoming a more attractive place to qualify. Um, so it is really important for people to know that um, you need to have a law degree to qualify in the US. You don't need to have one here. Is there any other kind of tidbits that you can share? 
that people might not know, but they should yeah. know. Yeah, so you will be surrounded by people who will have their training contracts or whatever. You might not have one just yet, but it's not the end of the world. The main thing to know is that an, a, lawyer's, uh, a lawyer qualifies on average at 29 to 30 years old. You know, I'm 24 now. I'm probably not going to qualify until I'm like, what, 29 or something, 28. So it is, it's a long process. And um, yeah, people just don't realize. People just feel like they have to kind of keep rushing, rushing, rushing um, to get things out of the way. But realistically, there's no need to because you, you won't qualify until you're like 29 or 30 um, with everything that's involved. So that is kind of the average age. It's not really a big thing, but it's just something to be aware of. Like if you are feeling like you're under pre- societal pressure to kind of start your get training your, qualify get your stuff together I think that yeah. kind of comes from the whole social media thing where exactly. everybody is just perfect and peachy and rosy and you know yeah. everybody wants yeah. you or shows the world what they want you to see but yeah. in the background like you know so don't compare just kind of keep on going and you'll yeah. get there when you get there you'll have the odd few who qualify at a ridiculously young age but it's very rare and it, it might happen to them if they've secured a training contract when they're in like their second year of college, get all their FE1s done in the one go and go straight into trading. Whereas other people can't do that. They have to work full time and you can't get your FE1s done quick when you work full time because so much study is required. So it might take longer for someone else. But that's like just a societal thing. You just kind of have to shut that out and realize that it's your own kind of journey. And, you know, just to know that you know, it's normal to qualify at 29 or 30, even 31. I know one lad who is 31 and he's going to qualify, I think, within the next year. Sorry, within the next two years. So it's it's pretty normal um, to be that age. So that's like another thing I'd say, because some people have this thing in their head where they just have to get things done really quick. I know I'm like that, but I kind of... But that's also, that's also people who have been doing that from leaving search on from like a young age. Like there's also people, I suppose, out there who decide... In their thirties, I want to change careers yeah, and do this. Yeah. So just keep on going, and you'll get there. Yeah, I went to college with so many people, mature students who were like in their forties, and they were only getting their law degree just because they've had. Um, I know one girl that I went to college with. She was a mature student. She had children very young in life, in her life, and she basically just kind of cared for them their entire life and now they're like you know 18 19 whatever entering college themselves and she kind of thought to herself well now I have time to go and do what I want to do you know so it is pretty normal to even do that Mm -hmm. and there's a a a fair few there was a fair few mature students in my undergrad and my master's degree so you know at any age yeah they do say that apparently people change careers I want to say five times in their life now that might be a bit much but to be honest it kind of sounds about right so being a mature student in college it is what it is yeah and then obviously as well another thing to keep in mind is that it's a really really like it's a financial and time-consuming commitment that you have to put into this like a black hole itself costs 16,000 if you get a training contract they'll pay for that if you get it with a big company, if you go for a small company, if you if you want to practice criminal or uh, insurance, that kind of area of law, it's mainly smaller companies that would practice those areas. The bigger ones practice more like big transactions and deals. But if you're going for a smaller company, you will have to pay Black Hall yourself. So there would be saving involved. You know, 16,000, it's a lot of money. And then FE1s on top of that, mine came out to be one and a half thousand for FE1s alone. 
that's 17 and a half thousand. And then obviously college, I don't know if you get Susie to help you or if you're paying that yourself, but it, it is, it comes, the entire legal education comes out well over 20,000 here in Ireland. Um, so it is very expensive. It's a long process. It's eight years. And the one thing I would say is not to jump into a training contract straight away. Um, just because once you enter it, you're stuck. Um, you have to do your two years of training. And then if they retain you and keep you on as a qualified solicitor, you're you're stuck, you know. So what I would suggest is like to go away for a year and take a break and do something, go away, I don't know, stay here and do something or go abroad and kind of just enjoy yourself for at least a year away from that kind of thing. And then come back and commit yourself to that kind of thing. And mainly everyone I know who is going into their training contracts like me and whatnot they've all done that or they're they're all doing that um I know I'm going to Australia next year just to kind of have that year and to myself and enjoy my youth while I have it and then when I come back I'll commit myself yeah it just sounds like such a long process but if look it's one of those things that if people are into it they're just going to do it and they'll get there no matter what it is um the other question I have is I suppose because it's such a commitment and it's one of those jobs that I think you have to have kind of like a certain personality for yeah like what would you think would be some of the traits that someone should have going into this because I don't like I don't think you can be a soft you know you can't be standing in front of a judge arguing your case and having a little cry because the other person, <laughs> you know, so I would say one thing that a lot of lawyers are lacking, I feel is compassion. <laughs> so it is it is OK to be soft. It is OK to be compassionate, but you have to have certain character traits for this kind of profession. And there are three C's that you have to have. One of them is competence, confidence and your credentials. OK, so they're your main three that you need to have. You need to be extremely confident. Never doubt yourself. You know, you are dealing with people at the end of the day. And it's one thing to be good at, at your job or whatever. But you need to make sure your clients don't hate the process. So, you know, it depends on what area you're going into as well. You know, if you're going into criminal law, you, you have to you have to have some sort of compassion, I believe. If you're going into business where it's like deals and transactions, maybe not so much. Um, you, I still feel like you need you need a little bit of compassion. You need to show your feelings, and you you will end up doing that anyway. Because if you know you're not happy about something or whatever, you're going to end up showing how you feel about that kind of thing. And that's what I mean about confidence as well. You need to be really confident in your decisions. You can't second guess yourself. You need to be very competent as well. You know, that's it. That's <laughs> just the four, the four C's. And that was Sophia Davichenko on the road to becoming a lawyer. A lot of little tidbits and insights for those who possibly are planning on pursuing a career in law. As always, guys, hit subscribe if you want to listen to more episodes with us. You can always find us on all our social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or just by searching The Open College. And of course, there's our website, which is theopencollege.com. That's all for now, you guys. Goodbye for now.